0: we had multiple shots fired that evolved to multiple victims and multiple shots at the school
1: another day in America
2: well I don't know why I came here tonight I got the feeling that something right no, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs from let me to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep yes I'm stuck from in the
1: Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM I'm in LA in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove in Lancaster Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI in Maui Hawaii on 88.5 K-A-K-U. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, An all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And yes, we have another another mass shooting to deal with. Uh, We'll get to that momentarily. But coming up in a bit, uh, just one week ago, Democrats, many of them quite progressive, saw victories up and down the ballot in states across the country, In 2017's so-called off-year elections, and while many were uh, focused on the the top-of-the-ticket contests, like the uh, Democratic gubernatorial victories in Virginia and New Jersey, there were a lot of noteworthy victories for Democrats, for everything from city councils to mayors to boards of education. And many of those victories were by first-time candidates for office. We will speak momentarily with the co-founder of one of the groups, one of the progressive groups, who have specifically been working on encouraging and helping such first-time, often minority uh, and female candidates and young candidates to run for office. We'll talk about their big wins last week and how the program works going forward into the 2018 mid uh, mid midterm elections. That will be held in all 50 states next year. So uh, if you've ever even entertained the idea of running for office, you might want to uh, stay tuned for that. Also, speaking of entertaining, Desi Doyen will be with us for our latest (laughs) Green News report.
3: Yes, well, I hope it's entertaining. I hope at least, at the very least, it's informative.
1: We'll see. Uh, That's coming up straight ahead. And. First, a very, very quick update for the moment on uh, the story we've been covering quite a bit over the past few days, this Roy Moore disaster that is still unfolding for Senate Republicans. Two more Republican senators on Monday joined the flood, really, of lawmakers who are now calling for Alabama Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore to drop out of his race amid allegations that he sexually pursued and assaulted teenage girls, uh, one at least as young as 14, while he was a district prosecutor in his 30s. Republican uh, Indiana Republican Senator Todd Young on Monday said the Senate must act to protect the integrity of the chamber. Did you know that they had integrity in that chamber, (laughs) Desi Doyne? Uh, That that they must do if more does not drop out. He uh, tweeted, Roy Moore should immediately drop out of the race if he does not step aside. We need to act to protect the integrity of the Senate. He said the allegations that five women, five now, have made against Moore are, quote, far more persuasive than Moore's denial that he ever engaged in such behavior. Senator Tom Tillis, Republican of North Carolina, also called on Moore to immediately withdraw from the race. Tillis and Young's comments came after Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called on Monday for Moore to step aside. McConnell's uh, uh, today uh, says Republicans are now actively seeking a write-in candidate to run against Moore, even as the December 12 election is already underway. Absentee ballots have been mailed out and are already being sent in. Senators Orrin Hatch, Republican of Utah, Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, have also now joined the choir calling for more to withdraw from the race. After McConnell's remarks, I guess, gave permission to a whole bunch of them on Monday, National Republican Senatorial Committee Chair Cory Gardner of Colorado, as we noted on yesterday's program, has called on the Senate to expel more if, in fact, He refuses to withdraw the race and ends up winning that uh, U.S. Senate seat from Alabama anyway. All of that uh, was happening at the same time that a a fifth woman came forward with allegations of violent misconduct by Moore when she was uh, 16 years old at the time. Beverly Young Nelson told reporters on Monday that Moore had sexually assaulted her. When she was a teenager and left bruises on her neck at the time when she resisted, Moore, uh, for his part, has denied all of the allegations against him. So we'll continue to follow that story, no doubt, in the days ahead. There was uh, was a very busy day in D.C. today. There were hearings uh, on Capitol Hill in the U.S. House on sexual harassment in Congress. Yes, in Congress itself, including testimony that uh, some still serving members inappropriately harass their colleagues in the U.S. House and Senate, though no names yet, uh, to my knowledge. Yes,
3: I think they're still uh, trying to maintain some level of collegiality. I'm not exactly sure why.
1: Yeah, I don't know why. If they're uh, sexually harassing people, uh, hopefully they've reported that to the Ethics Committee. Uh, there are also hearings in the U.S. House Judiciary Committee with Attorney General Jeff Sessions testifying on a on a huge range of issues, uh, focusing uh, quite a bit, uh, at least for Democrats, uh, on uh, Sessions's selective memory, as those Democrats have described uh, his well his his response to the Trump campaign meetings with various Russian officials and agents. Uh, that he forgot about until he was reminded about later. Also on uh, comments uh, on the Alabama Republican U.S. Senate uh, candidate, Roy Moore, because remember, this is Jeff Sessions. This was the seat that he gave up when he became Trump's attorney general. And Sessions, during this uh, hearing today, said he had, quote, no reason to doubt the women who are accusing Moore of those Uh, Incidents of sexual assault when they were minors. He was also asked about his openness uh, that was initially reported yesterday, his openness to a special counsel investigation of Hillary Clinton, of course, and the right-wing's pretend so-called Uranium One scandal. Sessions was also asked about a recent DOJ assessment of so-called black identity extremists, while conceding that he could uh, he could not recall any such similar assessments made of white identity extremists such as neo Nazis and the KKK, there were also hearings over in the uh, in the U.S. Senate in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on the power of the president to launch war and specifically to launch a nuclear attack without the ability for anybody to stop him or her from doing so. That was chaired by Republican Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee, and it was the first such congressional examination of that issue since 1976. So we are likely to cover some of those uh, noteworthy uh, hearings uh, in the days ahead. But since we probably won't get uh, to, to covering this, or at least the media won't be able to give this much coverage, I suspect, because, you know, mass shootings in the U.S., even when they involve school children, apparently they're now a dime a dozen. They tend to disappear from the national media radar very quickly if and when they are covered at all. Well, today, out here in California, up in northern California, gunmen choosing targets at random open fire in a rural North A northern California town on Tuesday, killing four people at several different sites, wounding others at an elementary school before police shot him dead. At least another 10 people have been hospitalized, two of them children, though counter to earlier reports, neither of those children have been killed. The uh, gunman. Uh, the gunfire began around 8 a.m. in a community of uh, Rancho Tehama Reserve. That's about 130 miles north of Sacramento. Here is Tehama County Assistant Sheriff uh, Phil Johnston in his initial report to a local NBC affiliate, KCRA, shortly after the uh, shootings were first reported.
0: I don't know what time the call came in. It was right about 8 a.m. We had multiple shots fired in Rancho Tejima. That evolved to multiple victims and multiple shots at the school, the elementary school. I am told at this point, the suspected shooter is deceased by law enforcement bullets. That's what I'm told. I know that we have medevaced a number of students. I know that the school has been cleared. I know that, um, We have the children that were attending school in a safe location at this time. Uh, We have about 100 law enforcement personnel in Rancho Tehama right now with multiple, multiple scenes. Um, I can think of at least five scenes that I've been told about. So we are spread thin, but we have a lot of resources right now and you can see that we're still requesting ambulances and we're still doing our work. Uh, That's the only information I have.
1: That was uh, Tama County Assistant Sheriff Phil Johnston. I suspect that we could uh, do a show like this, Desi Doyen, every goddamn day at this point in this country.
3: Yes, um, I'm sorry to say that I think you're right.
1: Police offered no immediate word on the motive by the assailant. Sheriff's official uh, said that the shooter's neighbors, however, had reported a domestic violence incident. This seems to be a common thread in so many of these shootings, and
3: there's a reason why. Yeah, because it is.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Apparently, witnesses reported hearing gunshots and hearing children screaming at an elementary school, uh, where the uh, from uh, d- 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 about f- b- the school was about five miles down the road, apparently from where the shooting is believed to have started. Details are still sketchy right now, even though we're hours after the shooting. Authorities did not have a firm count of the wounded due to the the number of places that the gunmen attacked, said Johnston. So there was, uh, I think, about seven different scenes. Um, Brian Flint told the uh, record Searchlight he was a neighbor of the, uh, the shooter, apparently, in the city of Reading, He knows uh, the shooter only as Kevin. He says he was the gunman and that his roommate was among the victims. He said the crazy thing is that the neighbor has been shooting a lot of bullets lately, hundreds of rounds, large magazines. Flint said he was uh, that they made it aware that this guy is crazy and he's being uh, threatening to us. But apparently nothing was done. Now, the uh, KCRA, the local NBC affiliate, reports that no children were killed in the shooting so far. Uh, However, one student was shot at the school itself and a second child and a woman were also shot inside a truck as they drove past the gunman who was apparently just firing randomly out the window. The child inside the truck suffered non-threatening life, uh, suffered non-life-threatening wounds, and the woman had serious life-threatening injuries. Unfortunately, according to Johnston, there's no word on the condition of the boy shot inside the school at this hour. The gunman, his name was not yet released, but he stole a white pickup truck and he initially began firing and went on this shooting rampage throughout the community, according to officials, just picking randomly, picking targets. As he fired shots at seven different shooting scenes in the area. The shooter targeted the school from outside the school, shot inside the school with multiple rounds, Johnston said. Uh, That from a second stolen vehicle. Officers found a semi automatic rifle and two handguns with the gunman after he was taken down. The shooter's name and age has not yet been released. Um, The man they have tentatively identified has had prior contacts, however, with law enforcement officers. Deputies went to his home on Monday, just this on Monday after uh, after a report of a domestic violence incident. But apparently he was allowed to just keep his guns. The preliminary investigation revealed that he had purchased those guns legally. It is still unclear according to the record searchlight, what that motive was for that uh, for that shooter. But officials said uh, that he had there was a history of neighborhood issues with the gunman. And uh, at this school, this school in particular, where he had uh, targeted, apparently it's not the first time this school has had a gun scare. In December of 2015, a then 43 year old woman was arrested after a school employee called law law enforcement because she was allegedly walking around with a sawed-off shotgun. Wow. We've got some issues in this country. Rancho Tehama Reserve is a subdivision home to about 1,400 people. It's described on on its website as a quiet, private country community. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the area is 86% white as of 2010, has a poverty rate of 43%.
3: That's a very high poverty rate.
1: Brian Flint, uh, who, and it's also uh, represented by a whole bunch of Republicans. Brian Flint, that neighbor uh, who lived next to the alleged gunman, uh, said living next to him was, quote, hell. Flint was known, was a a known felon who often harassed him and his neighbors. And yet somehow this felon was able to legally purchase a semi-automatic weapon and uh, rifle and, and two handguns. Politicians began weighing in on the shooting. Of course, uh, Vice President Mike Pence said, uh, quote, we pray for comfort and healing for all impacted. California Republican State Senator Jim Nielsen, who oversees the area of the shooting, said that uh, his heart goes out to the victims and that we will be praying for the speedy recovery of those injured. He said, we lift up in prayer those killed and wounded, their families and their loved ones. U.S. Congressman Doug LaMalfa, also a Republican whose district includes Rancho Tehama, wrote on Facebook that people should pray for the ugly situation there. California Assemblyman Brian Dahl, a Republican, wrote on Twitter that his prayers are with the innocent victims. That was the Republican response. A lot of praying Meanwhile, uh, the Democratic candidates for governor out here in California, including California uh, Treasurer John Chang, said on Twitter, There is nothing more horrifying than people, especially children, dying from a gun shooting because this can and should be prevented, he said. While we grieve today for the innocent victims, tomorrow we will honor them by working even harder at making California a safer place for all. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, who is also running next year for, uh, uh, for uh, governor, said on Twitter that the shooting epidemic has stolen too many lives in the U.S. He said we need immediate action to put an end to this nightmare. Notice anything different between those Democratic and Republican responses? Want better po- uh, politicians? Who won't just pray away our gun epidemic in this country? Want elected officials who may actually do something other than pray about this national epidemic? My guest coming up says it's time that you, yes, you, you consider running for office rather than waiting for someone else to take action. A quick break, and we are back with that story and much more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
3: And thanks.
2: Headed for the open door. Tell me what you're waiting for. Look across the great divine.
1: they gonna hear the sound, the sound, the sound. We've come running. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they'll come running. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. My guest coming up momentarily may help them come running. Well, it is one thing to vote and then root for your favorite candidates for office to win. It's another thing to be one of those candidates. Our nation, at least in theory, is run by a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. At least that used to be the idea, and that means that people, not just... Oh, industry experts, lobbyists, wealthy Americans, a professional political class need to step up to run for the tens of thousands of elected offices across the country in federal, state and local elections every two to four years. If we the people don't step up, the so-called professional political class will and they will continue to control the levers of government. For everything from the White House to Congress down to dog catcher. Well, maybe not dog catcher, but state and local government, uh, county clerks, boards of education, city councils and other key elected positions that make a lot of important decisions. Republicans seem to have figured that out some time ago. And they've had right leaning organizations supporting and grooming candidates for all sorts of state and local offices for some time. And they've been winning those elections for some time after the Democrats disastrous 2016 elections coming after at least a decade of Republican gains at the state and local levels of government. A number of progressive groups seem to have finally figured out that all politics is local or at least that it usually begins that way as candidates get experience in local and state government before they decide to run for, say, statewide office or the White House, our current president notwithstanding. But following the uh, losses in 2016, last week, Democrats saw big victories last week across the country during off-year elections held in about one-third of the state's. Democrats won big ticket offices that were on the ballot last week, like governor of Virginia and New Jersey and mayor of New York City, but also many first time progressive candidates, many of them young and female and minorities, also stepped up and saw victories everywhere from Virginia's House of Delegates, which, as almost nobody predicted, could actually flip to a Democratic majority uh, after last week's election and a number of upcoming challenges and recounts in several races there, uh, to the city council of Minneapolis, to mayoral victories in Topeka, Kansas, and Hoboken, New Jersey, Charlotte, North Carolina, and many other municipalities around the country. Many of those candidates who won for the first time were helped by several different new progressive organizations which stepped up To help those progressive candidates run for office, including Bernie Sanders, Our Revolution Group, and another called Run for Something, formed by former Hillary Clinton campaign staffer Amanda Littman and longtime Democratic campaign consultant Ross Morales-Rochetto. As Politico noted when reporting in October that Run for Something had organized and endorsed more than 120 young progressive candidates to run for office in the 2017 and 2018 cycles so far, many of those candidates were and are running for seats, such as county clerk and library committee. They noted the group is touting their endorsements as millennial candidates who are rebuilding the Democratic Party from the ground up. That sounds like a good idea. Co-founder Littman noted that their candidates are not complacent with the status quo and they're not waiting for someone to tap them on the shoulder to run. Instead, they're changing lives to get in the fight, and in the process, they're changing their communities for the better. If last week's results are any evidence, the strategy appears to be off to a gangbuster start. Many of the Our Revolution candidates were victorious last week, as were run-for-somethings. Which, along with a whole bunch of other progressive organizations, have declared today to be National Run for Office Day with a website at runforofficeday.com that declares at the top in all caps, you, yes, you should run for office or ask a friend to. So uh, should you, yes, you run for office and will there be any help out there for you if you do? Here to discuss all of this today is Run for Something's co-founder, Ross Morales-Rochetto. He is a progressive political operative with 15 years of experience in campaign management, grassroots organizing, and data analytics. Ross Morales-Rochetto, welcome to the broadcast, sir.
4: Hello. How's it going? And Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, first, I think uh, some congratulations are certainly in order here. You have pinned at the top of your Twitter feed that um, 10% of first-time candidates win, but yet Run for Something had more than 40% of your candidates uh, who won last Tuesday?
4: That's correct. So we had about 72 candidates running uh, in the Tuesday election. Mm -hmm. 32 of those candidates won. Another four are actually in elections that are too close to call, either in – Recount mm-hmm. or currently exploring options. Uh,
1: so thir- you said 32 candidates so far were victorious of, of yours last week? Yep,
4: correct. Wow. Uh,
1: how much w- do you attribute that then to the just the general anti-Trump sentiment in the country right now? Because uh, there's a lot of that versus your specific uh, re- recruitment efforts and financial help and the training that you offer to your, uh, to your candidates, Ross?
4: You know, I would actually say it's probably a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. uh, to be completely honest. I think, you know, one thing that we learned from the election, I think, uh, on Tuesday, not just in Virginia, but also in New Jersey, uh, and in the 12 additional states ahead elections, Mm -hmm. uh, is that the sort of cloud of Donald Trump um, is a little bit more elastic than I think what a lot of people had originally anticipated. So... You know, there were a lot of people uh, before the Virginia election that were making assumptions uh, that, you know, that uh, sort of enthusiasm that's been generated, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in response or sort of like anti-Trump sentiment has, like, would drive additional turnout. I think people were a little skeptical that that would hold a full, almost a full year after he was elected. Um, I, you know, I think some of it was that. I would say the other part of it, though, honestly... Is that we had on our side really amazing people that were running um you know we had Rome, the transgender uh woman mm-hmm. who was running against bob marshall uh the guy who sponsored the bathroom bill yeah uh, we had a woman named jennifer carroll foy running uh as well who gave twins gave her twins in the middle of her campaign <laughs> right um we had some really excellent people that were running. And I think, you know, when you have good candidates that are running campaigns that are designed uh, to have one-on-one conversations with voters, I think that's how you end up getting wins.
1: Now, how did you find these candidates or did they, did they find you?
4: Uh, it was all, that's also a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, about half the candidates uh, we worked with sort of from the very beginning Another half, um, we, you know, came to us uh, and we were interested in working with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, part of what we do is we want to work with folks as early in the process as possible. Uh, And your resources just go so much further when you work with them early in a campaign, early in an election cycle. Uh, that way, by the time they get to Election Day, they've already done a lot of the really almost all of the really hard work that needs to be done.
1: How did you and uh, Amanda, Amanda Littman, your co-founder at Run For Something, how did you guys decide to uh, to form it in the first place? I think Amanda actually has a book out called uh, Don't Just March, Run For Something. Uh, And and it seems to have been formed from the uh, from the tears of the 2016 uh, presidential campaign. Uh, Tell me about the way you guys decided to form Run for Something and how would you generally describe its mission?
4: Yeah, I would. It was, uh, you know, it was definitely I think the tear born out of the tears of the 2016 election is the right way to describe it. (laughs) Um, My, you know, Amanda worked on the Clinton campaign. My wife also worked on the Clinton campaign. We knew each other socially. Uh, Amanda had expressed interest to a number of her friends that uh, she was interested in doing this. And my wife, who knows that I had tried to, I've done similar types of candidate recruitment efforts in the past, Mm -hmm. connected us, we talked, and we, you know, decided that this is something we wanted to do together. Um, And, you know, as far as our mission goes, what we're really trying to do is recruit and support the next generation of progressive Democrats uh, running down ticket, And so, you know, we only, we work with local candidates. Um, We think that, you know, 2018, for example, is going to be the year of the down ballot candidate. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, you know, we work with folks that are younger. We know that only 5% of state legislators across the country are millennial. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the millennial generation is, you know, going to be the largest voting bloc in the next set of presidential elections. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, we, that's what we're setting out to do, you know, specifically in 2018. Uh, We have plans to endorse over a thousand candidates around the Mm. country uh, and work, you know, and recruit at least 50,000 people who told us that they're interested in running for office. You
1: you say 50,000 people?
4: Five zero. Yep.
1: 50,000 people have told you they're interested. I noticed that uh, at your website uh, that you're looking uh, mostly for young people, 35 and under, specifically women and people of color. So I guess that pretty much rules me right out, Ross. Uh, but that said, <laughs> uh, on all those uh, points, but what, what is what is your criteria for choosing candidates to support? If you've got 50,000 people who have reached out, how do you decide uh, who to support and, and not?
4: And that fifty thousand number is a goal for twenty eighteen. Right now, we have uh, a little over twelve thousand people
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, mm-hmm. who have signed up and expressed interest in running for office. We we have a few really basic criteria. One is that you know you're thirty five ish. We've worked with a few. We've worked with a number of candidates that are a little bit older than thirty five. Uh, that, that's okay, Ross. Through...
1: You don't have to make me feel any better. That's all right. <laughs> I understand. Go ahead. <laughs>
4: Two is that you're <laughs> deeply rooted in your community um, and are representative of the community that you're trying to serve. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, the other piece is we really want people who have, who are compelling individuals or have compelling stories. Um, and, you know, we want people who have progressive values.
1: And and I want to ask you about those uh, values and and how they – well, how that plays into your decision but i I, I want to give you a quick chance here to uh, to explain why is it important to to run for local office for boards of education for for library committees and so forth and and if someone decided to do that, how would you help someone let's say I was under thirty five and a person of color what would I, what would I do and and how would you potentially help me? uh to i guess decide to run for that office and and how what what kind of help would you offer if i did
4: you know people we've been hearing from people all across the country that in this particular moment they want to make a difference in their communities and honestly one of the best ways and the most effective ways to make a difference in your community is to run for office locally if you aren't happy with your schools you can run for your school board if you're not happy with the fact that like your your the road outside your house has potholes or doesn't get plowed when it snows mm-hmm. you can run for city council you know if you are unhappy with uh in a lot of places if you're unhappy you know with the cost of you know your water or the community colleges or you know a, a number of other um a number of other things in your community, like you can run for boards, uh, that are elected, uh, that have people making those types of decisions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the things that impact people's lives the most on a day-to-day basis tend to be, uh, at that local level. And, you know, a lot of, and that's, you know, what's been so powerful about, you know, the stories that we hear from our candidates that are running because. We have a, a young woman uh, up in Southeast Pennsylvania named Heather Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, was tw- is twenty-two years old. She was just finishing up school, and she decided to run for school board uh, because, you know, she saw what Betsy DeVos was doing, and she wanted to make a difference. You know, she ran in a district that is largely Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, And essentially by going door-to-door and talking, having one-on-one conversations with voters, uh, she won people over. And she actually just won, uh, she just became a member of the school board uh, on Tuesday uh, at 22 years old, the youngest member of that school board. Uh, And, you know, we hear stories like that from around the country. And, you know, in a lot of communities, a lot of the issues that are there, like, aren't necessarily... Democrat or Republican, mm. there are issues that people need, there, there are problems that people need solved in their daily lives. Mm. Uh, and what they really need is people to come in there who are passionate and solve them.
1: How, how important is, and one of the criticisms of of Democrats, the Democratic Party for years, is that they would only recruit candidates generally who already had a lot of money. And I, I suspect a, a lot of people consider running for office and they say, well, I don't have a lot of money, I can't put a lot of my own money into the race. How important is money uh, to a candidate in making a decision to run for something like boards of education and library committee and city council and so forth? And and does run for something help them in that regard if they, uh, if they need help uh, financially in that sense?
4: This is one of my favorite things to talk about. So um, money, unfortunately, makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of these local races, it's not quite as important as it is. Uh, you know, like in congressional or even like some large state state legislative elections. Mm-hmm. Um, But it still matters and you need to have it in order to run a campaign that's going to win. And I, I, I like playing a little on your point, like the idea that, you know, we've sort of tied viability as a party to your ability to raise money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially what that means is, you know, only... We're going to continue getting the same type of people uh, elected or elected to office every single time. And, you know, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, you know, if you come from a a rural low income community, um, we do work, you know, we do work with with white candidates. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, it's important, those individuals, you know, don't have the same kind of network, you know, that a lot of, other folks do, and when you're raising money for these races, mm-hmm. you're raising money from basically your friends and family and the people that is sort of you've cultivated in your community around you over the years. Uh, and if those people, you know, like don't have you know twenty seven hundred dollars to spare or whatever it is to give a maximum contribution, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're at a pretty significant disadvantage. So you know, in Virginia, we gave money directly to. A number of our candidates, uh, you know, that we had endorsed, we endorsed 10 folks. Um, we spent about a total of $200,000 uh, in that particular election. Um, and, you know, it, it is, it's is—it's important. Raising money is extremely important. And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, if you're running for a small town school board race, you don't need $100,000. You might only need five or ten thousand dollars and what that's really paying for, that's for you to get a list of voters so Mm -hmm. that you can know who you need to be talking to. Uh, and basically you need to print literature so that you can go out and knock on doors. Uh, and leave something behind for folks.
1: And even coming up with five or ten thousand dollars will obviously be a, a, an obstacle for many people. If uh, does your website uh, offer uh, tips, tips, and help on on how to raise that initial money to get going?
4: We do. We have mentors that are ready to work directly with our candidates mm-hmm. um, on a on a whole host of issues, ranging from just that, like how do I put together a fundraising plan. Mm-hmm to, you know, how do I put together a strategy to talk to as many voters as possible in the right order? Um, So we offer a number of services, coaching, mentorship. We help get people connected. We help get candidates connected to each other, Mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, one of the more important things that we do, because running for office is really lonely. Um, Nobody wants to hear you complaining. That's around you. Your campaign manager doesn't... um, your family doesn't want to hear it because you, you know, when you run, you put them through a lot. Uh, and so really the only other people who understand it are people who are running or have run before. Mm. Uh, and we also get people connected to resources throughout the progressive and democratic communities. Um, you know, we get them connected to trainings that are happening. Um, we get them connected to, you know, organizations that have, um, that have volunteer resources, um, to try to turn out volunteers for our candidates. We get them connected to individuals who might be willing to make a contribution to their campaign. Um, so we do a whole host of things for candidates, but and one of them is making sure that we're at least providing them a structure so that they can understand how fundraising for these things work and how they can do it in the most
1: efficient way possible. How is uh, How would you say, uh, Ross, that uh, Run for Something is different from, for example, Bernie Sanders, our revolution group, whose uh, endorsed candidates also uh, performed very well on Tuesday, as I understand. Is there an overlap between the two groups and uh, and, and some of these other groups, and then, uh, well, then I'll ask you about the the, the the political aspect here, but just organizationally, structurally, how are the uh, those groups different from each other?
4: Totally. Our revolution, I think, also had a really good night on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee Carter is the person that just sort of comes to the top of my mind, uh, who is running in uh, Virginia. I believe he identifies as a democratic socialist, yeah. and... Uh, he beat, I believe, what the the House Majority Whip, right. um, which is huge. Yeah, the third-ranking
1: um, Republican, a longtime entrenched guy who had been in the uh, Virginia House of Delegates for, for years, and, and he beat him after, by the way, reportedly, Democrats told him, oh, if you run too far to the left, you will lose. So that's why I'm trying to get a sense of, of the politics here, uh, as well as the organizational uh, structure between the various groups.
4: Totally. I would say that we're complementary of each other. Um, so we work with the folks over at Our Revolution. Um, actually, today is National Run for Office Day, as you said mm-hmm. uh, in your opening. Uh, they're one of our partners in for National Run for Office Day. Uh, Their chair, chairwoman, um, Senator Nina Turner, made a video talking about how important it was to run for office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're also working with groups like uh, Secretary Clinton's uh, group onward together um, and you know I would say one of the things that is really important for us uh, is that we are do, that we are doing everything that we can to get all of the help for our candidates that, that it exists out there and we're not interested ourselves in reinventing the wheel if we think you know there's a number of organizations that are really excellent at doing training so we will send our candidates to those trainings. Um, what we're really interested in doing is just making sure that these pe- that the people that we recruit know and understand how important running for office is, and that they're running good, solid, grassroots-oriented campaigns.
1: Is there a litmus test then when you're when you're choosing which candidates you're going to support as far as uh, progressivism goes? Uh, you know, if they're too progressive, not progressive enough, are Bernie fans as welcome at uh, Run for Something as Hillary supporters would be, for example?
4: Totally. I would say probably close to half of the candidates that we work with are, or at worst, supporters of Senator Sanders in the primary. Um, you know, for us, you know, in order for us to win, like, we need to run people who are truly representative of their communities. So in some communities, you know, that might mean, that means that you would want a certain type of candidate to be running, you know, then you might want, like, in the state of Alabama, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do have a core set of progressive values that we ask our candidates to ascribe by. Um, You know, we, we monitor, we hear back, um, you know, we mm-hmm. look at what they're saying in the press. Um, we haven't had any, you know, issues so far in terms of, you know, people telling us one thing and then doing and saying another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it, for us, it was really important to lay out a set of values rather than to talk about a, a specific set of policies.
1: Other than uh, politically, last question here, I think. Uh, how would you say run for something is different from uh, Republican groups that may be doing uh, something similar, that have been doing something similar for years. And it's somewhat maddening, you know, when I see a lot of these uh, candidates, a lot of these races, Republican and Democratic alike, where uh, the, the, the candidates run completely uncontested. So how is would you say that the run for something, the work that you guys do, is different from the Republican groups that may do something similar or— Is it in some way based on what uh, GOP groups, not politically, but the way, you know, they they recruit their own people, uh, the way GOP groups have been uh, so effective at doing, it seems, for so many years now?
4: You know, one of the things that I like to talk about is how, you know, we all know that there's a distinction in styles between, um, you know, how folks on the left and how folks on the right tend to operate, and, you know, on the right, you know, they'll they'll give tons of money to one or two central groups, and then, like, those groups will, you know, like, decide and go out um, and do things in, like, an extremely methodical way. Mm-hmm. You know, we're Democrats, <laughs> um, and so we've taken, like, a much more grassroots approach and strategy uh, to candidate recruitment, and to be honest, like, for us, what we're really interested in is Getting as many people interested uh, and to sign up to run as we can. We, you know, I think in an ideal world we would be running, you know, somebody with a D next to their name in every single state legislative district across the country, regardless of whether that candidate, you know, is likely to win or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need to get back to doing things like that because it doesn't just, it isn't just a feel-good story. It has real implications. You know, you saw in the Virginia election, you know, this reverse coattails effect where, you know, some of the a number of the down ballot candidates are, are, you know, our delegate candidates help pull up um, and get extra votes for the top of the ticket. Mm -hmm. And you know, the way that we win back Congress and the way that we take back state legislatures is by focusing on folks at the local level because those are people who are authentic messengers to their community. They're going out every day and having one-on-one conversations at the doors. You know, it's almost like having like small organizing pods, you know, like in every single district across the country with, you know, like candidates going out, uh, you know, and talking to voters in a way that, you know, a congressional candidate or somebody running statewide might not be able to do themselves or might not even have the resources to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know and if we can focus on that if we can focus on those types of things and not get caught up with like producing the shiniest television ad i think we have a real shot in 2018 that isn't to say that you know television and direct mail and more traditional um campaign methods don't have a role to play i actually believe that they do uh but it is to say that we really need to be focusing on the local level and we really need to be thinking about the implications that running somebody in all of these districts will have up and down the
1: ticket. Yeah, and I think that uh, since you had mentioned Lee Carter, he was a 30-year-old Marine veteran, uh, and he easily won. He actually got 55 percent of the vote in uh, his Virginia race in a very Republican area against that third-ranking Republican in the House of Delegates. So even uh, Ross, when you when you talk about the 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 different way perhaps that candidates might run in Alabama versus. California, uh, the idea that uh, that people go unchallenged and that people uh, pull back their progressivism out of fear, I think has, at least last Tuesday, um, that thinking has sort of uh, t- taken a bit of a beating. It seems that when people do step up, Um, and are authentic, they have a very good chance of winning. I'm going to point people towards your website. It's a really fun website, by the way, Ross, at runforsomething.net. Uh, just to think about it, to think about running, and uh, if you're not going to run, at least uh, think about supporting the work that RunForSomething .net does. I think it's really important work. Uh, it is a fun website. You almost had me there until I got to uh, you know realizing that I was so old and white and male. But other than that. There's some good stuff there uh, for everyone uh, who might be considering running for office. Ross Morales Rocketto, Uh website is runforsomething.net, and on the twitters, uh, follow them at runforsomething, and follow Ross on the twitters at Ross Mo Rock. Did I hit everything, Ross?
4: You got it. I appreciate it. You
1: bet. Thank you, and and good luck. Please stay in touch as you uh, as you head into 2018.
4: We certainly will. Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Okay, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and The Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever, from Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the broadcast. That song means it's Desi Doyen's Green News Report coming yes. up momentarily. You know, I had a had a number of stories I wanted to cover on the uh, actually the problem with white male. Politicians that I had to put off. I was joking, <laughs> of course, with Ross there about that. I had to uh, put those stories off because of the shooting in Northern California today. Maybe we'll get to them uh, a little bit later in the week. But, yeah, it would be nice to see younger people, w- women minorities run like hell uh, for office. Yes, it would. All over the country.
3: Yeah, actually, I remember being in high school in Texas, and I remember one of my teachers saying, wow, there sure are a lot of Christian right-wingers running for school board all of a sudden. Mm. And that was, I think, the beginning of that push. That was
1: when they figured it out, right? Yeah. We'll see if Democrats figured it out. I'd love to see that happen, if only because it'll make uh, Trump supporters Crazy. <laughs> It'll drive them crazy, although that's not a very long drive. All right. Anyway, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report.
4: The world is moving on, and so is the United States.
3: At UN climate talks in Bonn, Germany, the U.S. is a bit schizophrenic. New report shows Paris Agreement targets are not nearly enough. Senate approves fossil fuel lobbyists for top EPA air pollution position. Plus... Puerto Rico's governor estimates damages after Hurricane Maria are $95 billion.
0: All of
1: those damages and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. So...
3: What will make strong hurricanes more
0: and more frequent? According to our government, the answer is none of your f***ing business. Stop asking so many questions.
1: Agreed. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, well, after uh, a main power line went out in Puerto Rico late last week, dropping the island from 40% power capacity back down to 18%, that has now been fixed. And now, seven weeks after Hurricane Maria made landfall, still 50% of the island is is without power
3: yes the recovery is going extremely slowly and Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Roseo on Monday estimated that rebuilding the island after two back-to-back hurricanes both Irma and Maria will cost 95 billion dollars that's an amount roughly equal to the island's entire annual gross domestic product Roseo asked Congress to cover the costs of the reconstruction price tag as quote an important step to demonstrate that the federal government will treat Puerto Ricans like like any other American citizen. Oh,
1: sure. The uh, federal government giving $95 billion to Puerto Rico. Good luck with that, Puerto Rico.
3: Meanwhile, in Texas, which is now rebuilding from Hurricane Harvey, a new MIT study calculates that climate change made Hurricane Harvey about six times more likely and that the state's annual risk of similar extreme rainfall events in any given year is now 18% higher thanks to global warming. Thanks,
1: global warming.
3: Meanwhile, in the U.S. Senate, the majority Republicans voted strictly along party lines to confirm fossil fuel industry lawyer and lobbyist William Wareham for the number two spot at the EPA. Wareham has spent his. Let me
1: just break in there. That's the fossil fuel lobbyist who now is the number two guy at the At the Environmental Protection Agency. That's right. Got it.
3: Wareham has spent his career suing the EPA to roll back clean air standards that restrict mercury, silica, lead, and smog.
1: And we call that regulatory capture. Do we not? Yes, we do. Well done, fossil fuel industry.
3: At the United Nations climate talks now underway in Bonn, Germany, international negotiators are hammering out the mechanisms for 195 nations to reduce their emissions under the landmark Paris Climate Agreement. But a new report from the United Nations Environment Program calculates that the current national commitments under that agreement are only about one-third of the reductions needed to avoid shooting past the agreed-upon target of no more than two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures. However, the report also concludes that accelerating the transition to solar and wind energy, replanting forests, and increasing the energy efficiency of our cars and buildings can help close that gap.
1: That sounds like a great idea. I suspect everyone in the world except the U.S. will be interested.
3: Well, last week, the United States became the only nation on the planet not included in that agreement. That's thanks to President Trump's intention to withdraw from the Paris Agreement in 2020. But a Trump administration delegation is attending the Bonn climate talks anyway. And
1: I hope they are being met with boos and hisses.
3: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. On Monday, they hosted an event to promote so-called U.S. clean coal and nuclear energy Uh technology to developing countries as a way to cut their emissions. And, of course, they were interrupted by a climate action youth protest.
2: So we claim to be an American, but we see right through your greed. It's killing all across the world for that coal mining.
3: And a shadow delegation is also representing the U.S. in Bonn, a coalition of states, cities and businesses seeking to highlight positive U.S. climate efforts and strike their own deals on the subnational level.
1: Are they better singers?
3: I hope so. But their schizophrenic parallel U.S. presence is creating some confusion for other countries, according to the New York Times, who aren't quite sure who to trust. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who is leading the state action coalition, on Monday criticized the trump administration and noted that thanks to the states the u.s is already halfway to meeting the obama administration's pledge to cut u.s emissions
4: it is important for the world to know the american government may have pulled out of the paris agreement but the american people are committed to its goals and there is nothing washington can do to stop us
1: well that's good to hear but washington is going to keep trying to roll the clock backwards For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide, please, on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman.
3: And I'm Desi Doyle.
1: And this has been your Green News Report. Well, that's optimistic.
3: Yeah, well, you know, better to be optimistic than pessimistic. It gets a lot more done. Says you. Says me.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. And to my guest today, Ross Morales-Riquetto of RunForSomething.net. My thanks as ever to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us it is always greatly appreciated. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. And if you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download any of them anytime for free at Bradblog.com. Though my huge thanks to those of you who stop by Bradblog.com/slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.